0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Mountain View, California. I would invite you to open up to First Timothy 3. We're at a transitional phase right now as far as our teaching on Sunday mornings. What we have been doing the first year is going through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse, section by section. Put that on hold because we want to give an opportunity to some of our other elders, AC members to preach and teach and to use their gift, develop and exercise their gift from the pulpit but also give you an opportunity to get to know the leadership of the church from that perspective because one of the main responsibilities of an elder according to the Bible is they have to be able to teach and divide God's Word correctly, not just from the pulpit but in every other context as well as far as the ministry of the Word goes. So last week was a joy to be able to sit back and relax and I didn't have to study on Saturday night. And I actually slept for the first time on Saturday night because I didn't have to preach. I was looking forward to my good friend Bob Douglas bringing the word last week. So we were blessed by that. Thank you, Bob. And the week before, Tim Wong sharing the word on a very difficult subject of the second coming and the rapture in particular. And so two good weeks of sleeping around on a Sunday night. That just doesn't happen. Uh, so then I didn't sleep last night as I'm thinking about, praying about, and getting ready to share God's Word today. So over the course of a year, we've had all of our AC members have an opportunity to preach at least once. And that was a goal I had over a year ago. And speaking of our AC members, that's short for advisory council members, when we decided to plant this church, I knew in my heart, well, I just knew based on the Bible and from counsel I received from others who had planted churches, step number one is, if you want to plant a church, number one, it's got to be God's doing. Secondly, you need Called, qualified, a plurality of godly, ordained leadership to lay the foundation to plant that church. That's, that's the difference between just a Bible study in your home and a church. According to the New Testament model, is having a plurality of godly, qualified, called leaders to lead the way in your church. One of my mentors and favorite professors in seminary from years ago was Dr. Thomas Robert L. Thomas is his name, and he's been teaching seminary for over 50 years. And he was my Greek professor, and I just remember him asking him one time, Dr. Thomas, what's the difference between a Bible study and a church? I mean, what makes a church a church? And he said, well, according to the New Testament model, you need, a prerequisite is a plurality of called and qualified godly men who will be your elders in your church. If you do not have a plurality of elders, two, he said, you don't have a church, you have a Bible study. I said, oh, okay. So that was his Simple way of distilling it down. What does it come to? If you think about Jesus Christ, who said one of the last things he said on earth, after three and a half years of public ministry, Jesus promised, and at Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my church. Future, I'm going to do it. Jesus didn't build the church or start the church while he was alive on earth. He was preparing the way, and he was going to fulfill his promise, I will build my church. Church. What did he spend three and a half years doing? He was preparing to build the church, to lay the foundation of the church. What did he spend most of his time doing? Go back and read the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Examine all the data and the most amount of information that were given in the Gospels with respect to Jesus, what he did, who he spent his time with, what he taught on, was with his twelve apostles. It was a concentrated, systematic, deliberate training of the twelve who would be be the foundation of the church. And that's what Ephesians 2 says, that God built His church on the foundation of the apostles. It's amazing. So Jesus wasn't out like Billy Graham, uh, spending all of His time preaching to the masses most of the time. He did preach to the masses, but that wasn't the priority. He spent most of His time with His twelve because they would perpetuate His ministry. And he handed hand the baton over to them. And if you want to plant a church, that's what you need to focus on and concentrate on: is your leadership. Leadership is all important. Leadership sets the tone and the direction for everything. That is a theme all throughout the Bible. The Old Testament said it simply: like people, like priest. The priests were the leaders of Israel. And depending upon the quality, the integrity, or the lack thereof of the priests of Israel or the prophets of Israel or the kings of Israel, that pretty much determined the entire state of Israel and what they were going to be like. So under a a great king like David, all throughout Kings and Chronicles, God keeps saying, under the leadership of David, Israel thrived because of the quality of the leadership in David. And then they just went down the tubes from there, didn't they? With Rehoboam and Jeroboam and uh, compromising in sin and just spiraled down. And, and the commentary that God keeps saying over and over and over again is Israel screwed up, they're sinful, they're wicked, they're compromisers, they're messing up, they're not obeying me because of their leaders, Jeroboam, or just like Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And they're not like David. So again, God repeatedly bringing it back to the importance of leadership. Same thing in the church. So that's why it was so important. That's a model for us that Jesus spent three and a half years pouring His life into the twelve apostles. Judas bailed, and God knew that ahead of time. Jesus knew that ahead of time. That was not a surprise to Him. It was prophesied in Scripture hundreds of years before it ever happened. And then they were fully trained, these twelve apostles. And you know what? The twelve apostles became the first elder board of the first church that ever existed, literally. The first church that ever existed was the first Baptist church of Jerusalem, or I don't know what it was called the first church of Jerusalem that started out with first 11 guys and then they got Matthias and it started out with 12 guys and then they added the women and the first night they had 120 people there at their church plant and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Boom! Started sharing the gospel and the gospel spread and the church, and you can follow it in the book of Acts, the church of Jerusalem grew from 120 to 3,000 to 5,000 to 5,000 men only which means there are at least 5,000 women and... Times five children per family, a twenty five the first megachurch ever was the first church of Jerusalem. And the elder board or the leadership board was the apostles. Trace it through the book of Acts. And you see this phrase. The elders, I mean the apostles and the elders, the apostles and the elders, whenever they had a decision to make and they needed to confer and get direction and seek God and send out people, it was the apostles and the elders, a plurality of leadership in the first church. And that needs to be our model. Developing, establishing a qualified, godly, plurality of godly men to lead the church. And that's what I've been doing for the last year and a half or 15 months now. That's where my time and energy and focus has been. Not on programs, not on this and that. It's on the foundation, on the priority. Leadership in the church, a plurality of godly men who are going to help me lead this church and equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we said this. So back before the church started, I asked God, God, you've got to give me qualified godly men. I can't do this on my own. I shouldn't even be doing this on my own. I was already an ordained elder recognized at another church. And then God blessed me with five other, five other men that I knew for five plus years, most of them, and worked with them in ministry. They were not strangers. These were men that I trusted, totally respected, knew that complimented me. I knew they had unique gifts that would come and accentuate and make up for my deficiencies. They had the same vision. We were totally united. God brought us together. It was a supernatural work, and it was amazing. And I had six, we had six men on our elder board. And I asked every one of these five men, pray about joining this church, Pray about laying the foundation of a church plant. It's hard work. It's a difficult task. It's a daunting task. It's very intimidating. It's frightening, actually. It's going to take total dependence upon God trusting Him. But I've, God has put it on my heart that He wants you to be an elder in this church. And I asked every one of these men, first, I want you to consider that if that's a desire that you have. Because I've got that desire for you, but if you don't have that desire, you can't do it. Pray if this is God's calling in your life. Secondly, all of them were married. You need to talk to your wife. Pray with your wife. Seek God's will. Does your wife affirm you in this role as a potential elder in this church plant? And then get back with me and let me know. And all five of them said yes, absolutely. Uh, and then so for the next 15 months, it was deliberate training, uh, the biblical model, starting with First Timothy 3, what we read today. This is, these are the qualifications and the makeup of an elder in the church. So these five men took on the role of aspiring elder. Coming from the word, the verb used in 1 Timothy 3, verse 1, which we just read where it says, if any man desires, if any man aspires, if any man has the subjective desire in his heart to seek the office of overseer or elder, that is a good desire that he has. That's where it starts. The subjective call of God on a man's life. And all five of these men said, I have that desire. My wife has affirmed that desire. I affirmed that desire on what I thought God was doing in their life. And so, whoosh, we took off. So for the next, and I told them, well, here's your homework assignment. Here's some, here's the first step or test. Serve for an entire year as an acting elder, aspiring elder in this church. And after a year, actually any time down the road, if you say, oh, I can't handle it. I don't want to do it. This is not my desire. This is not my calling or gifting. You can step out at any time and we will fully honor that because we believe that will be God telling you this is not your role. But serve 12 months with me in this church plan. Then after a year we will reevaluate and if you still have that desire, then we will pursue formal ordination for you as an elder after the New Testament model. And it's not a complicated process. It's very simple. Ordination just simply means laying on hands. That's all. Ordination simply means to affirm. And the New Testament model of ordination, it's not from the state. It wasn't from Rome. It's not from California. It's from the local church, and other surrounding biblical churches who affirm the leadership and the call of a man that God's called in that role in the church. With the laying on of hands was one symbolic way of doing it. But it's just simply affirming a man in his role. So I wanted our church to know that these men have served for 12 months, our advisory council members. Walt Heine went off to Mexico. Uh, we scared him off. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Walt Hines faithfully. He knew he was going to Mexico. He was a tremendous blessing to us. And, and I still am weekly gleaning wisdom from Walt. Walt, i got a problem. Walt, help me out. Walt, I wish you were here. Walt, I wish I was in Mexico. But anyway. <laughs> so Walt is an at-large advisory council member and definitely my elder by 20 years and by 50 years in the faith. Um, so these men have put in their 12 months. I've gone back to every single one of them. Is it still a desire of your heart? And if it is, you need to talk to your wife and pray again to see if it's a desire of your heart to pursue formal ordination now. And I affirmed every one of these five men or the four that remain, I believe God's called you to do this role. You have performed uh, wonderfully, faithfully, beautifully this past year. And it didn't surprise me because that's what I expected of Bob and Tim and Paul and Sam and Walt. I am not surprised at all. They did exactly what I knew God was going to allow them to do. So it was awesome. It was very encouraging to me. And so the plan of our... What we want to do now is we are finalizing a formal process of ordination on the plurality of elders in our church. And we're doing it in conjunction with other local, experienced, godly, wise pastors like Mike Birchfield and a couple of others who are a part of this ordination process, this uh, mentoring process. Each one of them is being assigned to an experienced, ordained, local pastor who is like-minded. And they have to meet one-on-one with those men, two to three hours. Uh, and there's other things that are going to be revealed regarding this ordination process, but ultimately it's going to be, they're going to be affirmed, but we also, at some point, we're going to want input from particularly our members who have been able to observe these men for the past year. Because in the book of Acts, part of the ordination or affirming was from the saints in the local congregation who laid their hands on those leaders in the church. So I'll tell you, more details are forthcoming on the ordination process, but all that. Uh, is a precursor to let you know why I wanted to do this one message on elder shepherding leadership in the local church now that we've been here a year. We need to know what God has to say about this. So let's go ahead and look at uh keep it open to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to it's kind of like a Bible study several passages I want to take you to. Uh the title I have chosen is elder shepherding One of the distinctives of Grace Bible Fellowship Church is the commitment to biblical leadership in the local church through the appointment of qualified elders. Elder rule or elder shepherding was foundational to the New Testament church. Sadly, it is greatly neglected in many churches today. Jesus said he would build his church, Matthew 16:18), and he intends to do it his way. Key to that process of Jesus building his church is to begin with biblical leadership in the church. This starts with a proper understanding of and commitment to elder shepherding. So today we're going to examine an overview of what the Bible has to say about elders and how they function in the church. It's a distinctive of Grace Bible Fellowship because it, it sets us apart from any other churches. I've worked at churches that didn't have elders. As a matter of fact, they didn't even know what elders were when I brought up. They didn't want to know what elders were. Because it was unfamiliar. We've been doing it this way for 50 years. We're just fine. But the Bible says it doesn't matter. But I believe this is the biblical model. So I tried to glean some principles here that we can look at as an overview. I had 17 of them, and then I had to whittle it down to two pages, to nine. It was hard. This is brutal. I don't know if I can do all this in the amount of time that we've got. So just by way of warning, I was thinking we might have to do part two uh, two weeks from now, because next week we have our one year celebration we be talking about Matthew 16:18, Jesus building the church. And if we need to spend more time on part two, because it is so vitally important, uh, we'll do that in two weeks from now. And then the week after that, uh, we'll look at deacons. Okay, And you'll see why in just a second, why they go together, elders and deacons. So let's go ahead and look at your handout there and look at uh, God's leadership in a local church. Uh, point number one is the New Testament established two offices in a local church. Two offices in a local church. Two. Very important. Elders and deacons. Those are the two offices. If you kept your Bible open to 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, where Tim Wong just read, verses 1 through 7 was talking about the office of overseer or elder. It's the same thing. Overseer is an elder, is a pastor. Same thing. That's an office. And then he transitions in verse 8 deacons likewise. Deacons, just like overseers is an office, deacons is also an office. A formal body of functioning servants who are men in the church and gives qualifications. Of deacons. So those are the two offices in the church, elders and deacons. The reason that's important is because early on in the 2nd and 3rd century, quickly the biblical model got twisted, distorted, and messed up. And for the last 1,700 years, many churches have followed the messed up, man-made model of leadership in the church. They don't have two offices in the church. So you've got all kinds of models out there that, that don't correspond to the biblical model that we see. Some very common ones today of offices in the church. One common one is that there are three offices in the church. People would say, but there's not, there's only two, but this is what they say. There's the office of bishop, and then pastor, and deacon. Those three. Bishop, pastor, deacon, or bishop, elder, deacon. Or some churches say there is pastor, elder, deacon. Which is not correct. Or some would say, well, there's only one office in the church, and that's just the pastor. Pastor. Like uh, Little House on the Prairie, Andy Griffith Show—I could go on and on. Just one guy doing it all himself. Wow, he's amazing. Just a pastor. That was it. And then some other American Baptist churches uh, will have two offices, but they're not the right two. They'd say the pastor is an office and the congregation is an office, and they have equal authority. Or actually, sometimes the congregation has more authority than the pastor. Um, and, and then there's variations of all sorts. But those are all—they're not, not following the clear biblical model, which is there's two offices: elders and deacons. Philippians 1.1, you can't get any clearer than this. The Apostle Paul writing to a local church in Philippi, the church that Paul planted, by the way, and he says, Paul, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including who? The overseers and the deacons. So he recognizes the congregation or all the lay servants there, and then he gives a special recognition to the overseers, plural, plurality of leaders, elders in your church. Not one guy. Doesn't say to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the senior pastor and all the deacons. It's plurality of leaders, the overseers and deacons. Very simple. Two offices in the church. Number two, the term elder is used interchangeably, sometimes synonymously actually, with the words pastor and overseer. This is very confusing to people. But it's clear from the New Testament. The term elder is used interchangeably with the words pastor and overseer. So I would say that a pastor is an elder is an overseer. And I don't want to confuse you too much, but... The Greek word for elder is presbyter, where we get presbyterian from. So some churches say we have presbyters. That's just another word for elder. That's all it means. So elder means presbyter. And then the word overseer is translated in some English translations as bishop. Okay? It's the same word. Bishop is synonymous with overseer. That comes from the Greek word episkopos. Episcopalian church, have you ever heard of that? We have episcopates, the, the episcopatry or whatever they call it. And they make that different. No, so uh, an overseer is a bishop. Is, comes from the word episcopal. By the way, it's an interesting word. It's a compound word, Episcopos, episkopos, Episcopos. I wrote it out for you. Skopos comes from scope. What's a scope? A periscope, a telescope, a microscope. To see, epi, preposition, over and around. To scope out over and around. That's what an overseer does. He is overseeing. He is managing. He's seeing the big picture. How's everybody doing? What's going on in the church? That's what a leader does. That's an episcopal. Episkopos. That's an overseer or bishop. Same thing. And then uh, finally, the word pastor, or sometimes translated as shepherd, it's the same Greek word. Depending upon your English translation. Pastor and shepherd, same Greek word. Poimon or poimeo is the verb. Interesting thing about the word pastor, only one time in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul anyway, and Peter and all those guys, there's only one time pastor the noun exists, and that's in Ephesians 4. Every other time, pastor is in the verb form. So it's not a pastor. The emphasis is on the one who pastors. Not the shepherd, but the one who's shepherding. That's the emphasis in the local church. And so, And those three terms are interchangeable. Um, look at 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2, where Peter, by the way, Peter was an apostle. He was a leader in the first church that was ever started. And in 1 Peter 5, uh, Peter addresses the elders, plurality of elders. And he calls himself in this passage, a fellow elder. So Peter recognized himself. He was an elder among many in his local church. And he's addressing local elders and he says this, in 1 Peter 5, 1 and 2, I exhort the elders among you. Notice it's plural. Among you, in your local church. You should have a plurality of elders. Not one big shot. I'm not the big shot at Grace Bible Fellowship, by the way. If you ever say to me, this is Cliff's church, I, I won't like that. I will not be happy. I don't want that responsibility. This is Jesus' church. He said he was going to build the church. I exhort the elders among you, said Peter, to pastor or to shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Same word related to overseer. So there in one breath, the the Apostle Peter equates those three terms. They are interchangeable. They are synonymous. Elder, overseer, pastor. Same thing. So if someone were to ask me, are you the pastor or the elder or the overseer of the church? I would say yes. That's what I would say. And then I put other passages there, same thing. Acts 20, Paul does the same thing. It says he called the elders from Ephesus, plurality. Elders at the one church at Ephesus. And he began to talk to the elders, calling them overseers, and that they should shepherd or pastor the flock. Same thing, three terms, totally interchangeable. So that's point number two. Uh, Number three, every church is to have a plurality of elders, and we've emphasized that already. Every church is to have a plurality of elders according to the biblical model. Titus 1.5 talks about the qualifications of elders or overseers. Paul starts out that passage by saying, commanding Titus, who was a church planter, a co-apostle, and a leader in the church, and he told Titus, appoint elders in every city. Plural. By the way, the word elder, in reference to the local church, occurs in the plural every single Time in the New Testament. Whenever the word elder refers to the local church, it's plural every single time with respect to the local church. So that's a command. And then even more specific, Acts 14.23, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas went on uh, missionary journeys. They planted churches. Paul was the expert at church planting and he had the same pattern. He'd go in, preach the gospel, people get saved. He'd hang out for a while. He'd train them. He'd train up leadership. And before he left... He would have leadership intact to take over after he left. And part of that was Acts 14.23, a summary statement of all of his ministry with Barnabas and all the churches that they started, they appointed elders in every church. Plurality. And then finally, Acts 20.17, and from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, one church, local church, called himself, notice, the elders of that church. Plurality of elders in every single local church. That's the biblical model. Number four, the elders are to jointly shepherd or pastor the church. You know, and it, it's, it's a common colloquialism. Who's the pastor at your church? Oh, who's the pastor of that church? I do the same thing. It's not a sin. We know what you mean. Yeah, Chuck Swindoll, he's the pastor of that church. John MacArthur is the pastor of that church. And, and Charles Stanley, he's the pastor. We, we know what we're talking about there. That means kind of who's the upfront guy who's doing all the preaching and teaching and can't shut up because he has so much to say like McManus. But anyway, um, that's really what we mean. But in light of that, the biblical principle is number four, that the elders are to jointly shepherd or pastor the church together. That's why you need a plurality of elders. And this is God's wisdom. Like I said, Jesus had 12 apostles, not one apostle. Peter was the head apostle in the fact that he was the spokesman, right? And he was the leader. He was kind of the quarterback of the team. still had 12 people on his team. And they were serving together, jointly together. They need to shepherd together and pastor together. I could possibly have done... Uh, the, the work necessary for pastoring and shepherding by myself. I thank God for the five men that God has brought to this church who have helped me pastor and shepherd this church. That's God's wisdom in giving a plurality to men. And there's, there's practical reasons for having a plurality of leadership in your your local church, isn't it? I mean, I could just think of many of them. Probably you can as well. First of all is every person has weaknesses, don't they, or blind spots. I know I do. My family thinks I do. They're They're right. I'll be honest here. Yeah, I have blind spots, weak spots. I have giftedness and I have weak spots. I have giftedness and I have a lack of gifts in certain areas. I have giftedness and I'm totally oblivious in some areas. And then God has given a plurality of elders in the local church so that other men with other gifts can complement one another and then you've got a unified whole of shepherding going on in your church. And I've seen that happen a gazillion times in the last 13 months here where we've had to make critical decisions. And many times, I just don't know the answer and I'll... I'll ask the AC guys and bounce it off of them or we'll pray together seeking God's wisdom that He's going to give us a unified answer on something. Or many times I'll just have an idea and throw it by an individual AC elder and they'll say, well, I'm not sure about that. Or let's wait up on that. Or, boy, that was a stupid clip. How about this? I It's like, oh, okay, uh, let's pray. So I've seen that happen many, many times. So that's the beauty of many. Uh, like I said, the gifts that they bring are just phenomenal in the areas of giftedness that they are covering all areas of ministry. Uh, So that is God's requirement for the health of the church, jointly shepherding the the sheep together, not by ourselves. No one man. Uh, Number five, local church elders have varying gifts and responsibilities. So here's the balance. Yeah, we have a plurality of elders, but that doesn't negate specialization in certain areas of ministry. We have a plurality among the elders that doesn't negate the fact that you need a leader or a quarterback on the field, right? We are equal in value. We are equally used by God as we form the leadership team, but we all have different gifts to contribute. And you need a quarterback on the team, somebody who has got to take the lead, somebody they've got to follow based on a unified decision. We've all agreed this, we're going ahead. Here's, and then they're checking in with the coach because that facilitates communication instead of all 11 guys from the sideline yelling at the coach. Can you imagine? 11 guys on the football field getting ready for a play and all 11 are yelling at the coach, Coach, what's the play? Coach, what's the play? That would be disastrous. So it facilitates communication. There's a designated leader and it's just a beautiful thing to behold when it's done the right way. So there is specialization among equality. There needs to be. Same thing in a home. You got husband and wife. The two are one flesh, aren't they? But the Bible said that the man is the head of the home. He is the leader. But husband and wife are one. And one uh, husband and wife are valued equally before the eyes of God. But somebody's got to lead. So there are differences in gifts. Uh, look at some of the verses I put on uh, noting distinctions and differences with respect to role, function, or gift 1 Timothy 5:17 let the elders plural who rule well be considered worthy of double honor and that's not just pay that's respect and recognition that they're leaders called by God in the church and because of that they're also going to get higher accountability from God that's a scary thing double honor notice especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching and Timothy or Paul was recognizing you got a plurality of elders and they have different functions and some of those elders are going to be given uh, more or even full-time to the preaching and teaching ministry, so they're different in terms of their giftedness and calling. So there's a distinction among the elders. And I was blessed by Grace Bible Fellowship and the advisory council that asked me over a year ago, would I like to, or do I believe I was called by God, to be the pastor-teacher of this church? So that's I get more visible time up here, but it doesn't mean I'm doing more or I'm more important than any one of the leaders uh, of the advisory council or the elder board. I just have a different gift, that's all. Um, verse 14, 12, and they began calling Barnabas and Saul. So you got Saul and Barnabas. By the way, Barnabas was older, and for a while Barnabas was Paul's mentor, and they went on ministry uh, together and missions together, and they spent a lot of time together, and eventually at some point there was a distinction between the two in terms of their giftedness. And so Paul, Barnabas recognized, hey, Paul is gifted as a spokesman, and he's gifted as a leader. Man, I'm going to submit myself, even though I'm an older guy, to his leadership, and I'm going to follow his lead. That's what Walt Heine, who was in his '60s, did with me, and it, it awed me, it humbled me. It, oh, Walt's been walking with the Lord longer than I've been born. Why does he want to follow me? Because he believed that I had the gift of leadership, and this was my calling, and he delightfully wanted to follow that and accentuate and bolster my ministry to its fullness. And that's what Barnabas did with Paul. So there was a distinction. They were equal as church leaders and elders, but they recognized the distinction in their role. And so Paul was the spokesman as they went around, and that's why. And they began calling Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes, false Greek gods. These people were messed up, and because because and they were calling Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Okay, so he was known, and there was a distinction among the twelve apostles, wasn't there? I've already asked you who were the twelve apostles. Well, Peter. That, he was the guy that was talking all the time, right? He was out in front, he was leading, he was stepping on the back of Jesus' his heels all the time because he wanted to be in front. He was, man, he was a leader. He was the spokesman. He was aggressive. He's even grabbing Jesus by the arms, shaking him, rebuking Jesus. Yeah, that was pretty sad, but anyway. But no, Peter was the leader. And then when Jesus left, rose, Peter took over as the leader of the 12 apostles, but they functioned as a team. And if I were to ask you, name the other 11 apostles, you might be able to name five of them. And there's probably a couple you wouldn't be able to name. And if I were to ask you, what do we know about that guy in the Bible? We, the answer would be nothing because Scripture says nothing about Jude the zealot. But he was one of the 12. He was an elder at that church of 25,000 people. He was doing something. But he wasn't the spokesperson and the leader or the quarterback of their elder board, but vitally important, a part of the team. And you know what? He didn't uh, disparage his role of being in the shadows behind Peter because we never see him complaining. And he stuck with the team the whole time. He even gave his life in martyrdom in death for Christ and the church. So there is a distinction. Uh, and Just simply, Paul uh, says in Romans 12.6 that we have every Christian. Every Christian has gifts that differ. We have gifts that differ. different. They're supposed to complement one another. And so our different gifts at the elder board with the five, six guys is supposed to be a microcosm of what the rest of the church is to be in terms of their giftedness and complementing one another. Actually, my gifts are very narrow. Uh, I know that. My wife will tell you that. It's it's teaching, preaching, leading. That's it. I'm, I'm pretty much not gifted in anything else. Uh, I can coach basketball. That's about it. Everything else has to be a struggle or a prayer or whatever. So I want to maximize the giftedness and then also have a servant's heart in the meantime. Um, so that was number five. Local church elders have varying gifts and responsibilities. Let's go on to number six. Uh, the elders' priorities include leading, feeding, and pleading. I was a literature major in college, by the way, and I studied poetry and rhyming. I don't know if you caught that. Um, The elders' priorities include leading, feeding, and pleading. Three verses of what I'm talking about. Leading. I exhort the elders among you, said Peter. Shepherd the flock of God. That's leadership right there. Exercising over. Lead the people. Manage the people. Get out in front of the people. By the way, don't get too far out in front of the people because then what happens? Then you're an enemy and they start shooting at you. If you get too far out. So stay in front but a little closer so they know you're on their team. So lead the people. Manage. Uh, if you want to be an elder in the church or pastor in the church, overseer, you've got to have certain gifts. It's not just all about qualifications of your character. There are gifts. There's prerequisite gifts you need. You could be the godliest man in the world and not be gifted at an overseer, pastor, elder. And I know men who are very godly men and maybe tried the elder pastor thing and oh man, that is not, ooh no, that is not my giftedness. And some of the prerequisite gifts are managing or leading, says Romans 12. You have the gift of leadership. And Ephesians also talks about that. Leadership or managing. And you also have to be gifted at teaching the Word at all levels. One-on-one with people in council, small group, bigger group, the masses. But you have to be able to Communicate the Word of God effectively. That's a prerequisite for being a pastor, elder, overseer in the church. And managing... Managing what, by the way? Not business. In the church, it's managing people. You have got to be able to manage... So you actually have to like people. I have a personal friend who was, went to seminary in the ministry. I pastored alongside him. He got out of the ministry. And I asked him why. And he says, and, and he was kind of beating around the bush. And I finally put my finger I said, you don't like people, do you? And he said, yes, that's true. I guess you got to like people if you want to be in the ministry and be a pastor. I said, "Yeah, yeah, ministry would be great and wonderful and fun if it weren't for people." So I understand what you're talking about. But at least he was honest enough to say this wasn't for me. I'm not a people person, and you know, and I can't. And when you're talking about you're managing people, that means you're managing what? You are managing problems. You have got to be able to manage people, which means you've got to be able to man- manage problems, and it means you've got to be able to juggle more than three. Like five balls at the same time, or maybe seven. I mean, think about it. Uh, as a pastor at this church, I have to manage, first of all, my own problems in my own life. That's hard enough to do, isn't it? That is a challenge. I've got to manage my own personal problems. Then I've got to manage uh, the problems of my children, and I've got four. Then I've got to manage the problems of my whole family, which is very difficult. And then I've got to manage the problems of the leadership of this church. And then I've got to manage anybody else who joins the church. And all these other people with all of their problems that they bring into the church. This is very tiring work. That's why one of the prerequisites is you've got to be able to lead and manage, and the emphasis is on people. But, I I mean, I thoroughly enjoy people. This has been one of the most tiring years of my life and one of the most satisfying and fulfilling years of my life. With respect to ministry, that's just my honest evaluation as I look back. So that's leading. Then you've got it. And the job of the pastor, particularly the the pastor teacher, as Ephesians says, is feeding the flock. What does that mean? Jesus said to Peter, uh, the head apostle, and an elder and a church leader, feed my sheep. He said it three times. That was his job description. It's very simple. Stay focused, Peter. You're not a program maker and a CEO and everything else that can distract you. You need to feed my sheep. How do you do that? Well, primarily it's feeding them the Word of God. Right? teaching them biblical truth to help their soul grow, to help them grow as Christians, to equip the saints with biblical truth so they can carry on the ministry so that Christ can build His church. So I've got to stay focused. The pastor has to stay focused. The elders have to stay focused. The priority number one is getting the Word of God out and getting it out correctly and then helping the people assimilate it into their life and appropriate it into their life as we're trying to do the same thing in our own lives. Feed my sheep. That is a command. Second Timothy 4.2, the Apostle Paul, from God, commanded every pastor at every church, preach the Word. That is a command. That is, that is the very top thing on my job description, in my mind, from a biblical point of view. Preach the Word. That means preach the Bible. Teach the Bible. Biblical truth. Scripture. Not cute stories, not my own ideas, and on and on it goes. and Not human wisdom. The Bible, the Word of God. It's living and active, more powerful than any two-edged sword, piercing the very hearts, souls, conscience of human beings that the Holy Spirit uses to help them grow. It needs to be the priority. Preach the Word. So that's feeding. We feed on the Word of God. Jesus said it himself, didn't he? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Scripture, biblical teaching needs to be the priority of a spiritual man and a pastor. What was Jesus? Jesus was the great shepherd. He was a pastor. What did he do? He pastored people. Well, how did he do it? Programs, everything. No. Mark 1, 14 and 15 is very clear. Jesus came, began his ministry And he came doing what? Preaching and teaching the gospel. That's what it says. That's what Jesus did. He was a preacher and a teacher. As far as we know, he never wrote a book. He never started a program. He preached and he taught at every level. The Apostle Paul said the same thing in Timothy. I am an apostle and a preacher and a teacher. That's what your pastor and your elders need to be doing. Preaching and teaching. Preach the word. Um, And then pleading... Call for the elders of the church and let them pray. Acts 5.14 in the local church. The elders need to be praying. They need to be praying on a regular basis. They need to be praying on behalf of the saints. They need to be praying for God's direction and leading into the future. Men of prayer. Acts 6.4 says that the leaders in the church in Jerusalem could not be distracted or encumbered by things that were not the priority. That's why they had deacons and other servants because they wanted to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. It needs to be the priority. That's pleading before God. Uh, number 7 elders are servant leaders after the model of christ notice the word servant comes before leader that's the way it should be in the bible right which is the reverse in the world if you're a leader in an organization or of a country you don't have, you're not obligated necessarily to be a servant from the world's point of view just to be a leader might makes right not in the Bible. Elders are first and foremost servants. They are servant leaders after the model of Christ. Mark 10.45, the Son of Man, Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give His life. That's why He came. He came to be a servant. He was the master servant. Oh, well, that's not my job description. And Jesus, what did He do? He got down and washed the apostles' dirty feet just before He died. That's menial, dirty servant work. And we need to be, doing, be willing to do the same thing, serving the people, getting our... Hands dirty if necessary. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 3. Peter the elder talking to other elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you. Shepherd the flock of God. Pastor the flock of God among you. Nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge. You are their servant, not their Lord. You don't manipulate and intimidate people, coercing them to do whatever you want to do under your mighty hand of power if you're a pastor in the church. You are a servant in the church. You don't lord it over the saints. It's not your will. It's God's will. If you want to be a leader in the church, one of the greatest things that we need to do as leaders in the church is you need to be a good listener. right? You need to listen to the people, what they're saying. We need to hear them and also hear the voice of God. That's a servant. That's why I put not self-willed. Some people, they, they get in, put in a position of church leadership and all of a sudden their ego inflates. I shouldn't just say they. That's a temptation to anybody that's in a position of leadership in the church. It's a temptation. It's a temptation for me. We have to guard against it. Pride. Number eight, the saints are expected to submit to the elders and follow their lead. So there's a beautiful balance here. We need to be servants, meeting the needs of the people, listening to the people, praying for the people, getting input from the people. We are one with the people. And at the same time, in terms of function, we're the quarterbacks. We're handing it to the running back. We're throwing it to the wide receiver. Hopefully we're not having to punt. Our other teammates. And what's their responsibility? Just Paul narrows it down. Of submitting to the leadership of the church. First Peter 5.5 5, Be subject to your elders in action and in attitude. Hebrews 13.17 Obey your leaders. That's your church leaders. Your local church leaders. Obey your local church leaders. Submit to them. Or they keep watch over your soul. They think about you. They pray for you. I know we do at this church. These men are very concerned about every person here. What's going on in their life? What are they struggling with? Are they growing in Christ? And we pray for you. That's what we need to be doing. We watch over your souls as those who will give an account before God. James 3.1 We have a higher standard of judgment. That's frightening. Let them do this with joy. We want to have joy. And notice this. And not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. So if you are a rebellious, cantankerous, resisting congregant in terms of your attitude towards your leadership, it's not good for you. And you know what? You're grieving God and you're grieving your leaders. They want to have joy. And God wants you to be blessed. Number nine. Elders must meet specific qualifications. I talked about gifts. The gift of leadership and management is prerequisite and the gift of teaching the Bible is prerequisite. And then in addition to that, there are other qualifications that have to do with character and the spiritual maturity of a man. So this is the last one, number nine. Elders must meet specific qualifications. Titus 1, 5 through 9 is a parallel passage with First Timothy 3. They go beautifully together, complementing one another. Many of the terms are synonymous. Some of them are different. But here's what it says in Titus, the man of God. And think about this as you think about the four men that I am proposing that I believe God is calling them to be ordained in this church as our elders. I believe, as I've seen and worked closely with them, not just this year, for the last six years, that they are qualified in light of the biblical model. And by the way, another thing I need to say regarding this. This is not perfection. We are, I'm not saying these men are sinless. They are sinful. I am sinful. James, The book of James says, we all stumble in many ways. We are all sinful. So this is not about sinlessness, but it is about a characteristic or pattern of lifestyle a general direction you are going. As one of my professors in seminary always reminded us as we studied this, don't be discouraged, men. We all fall short. We all have uh, feet of clay. We're all cracked pots. It's the direction of your life, not the perfection of your life that God is asking for in light of these specifics. That was very helpful for me. So here it is. What are these qualifications? The command is to appoint elders in every city and we want to do that formally. As I directed you, namely, if any man... He must be a man, by the way. An elder in the church, a pastor in the church, an overseer in the church, the biblical model is he is a male, not a woman. That is why GBF is distinct. We didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. Basic. Twelve apostles, all of them were men for a reason. That's what, how God has chosen to lead in the church and in the home. If any man be above reproach, the husband of one wife... Notice he's a husband, man, male... Husband of one wife. If he is married, he's committed to his wife and only his wife. He's not a polygamist. He's not having affairs on the side. Having children who believe. Literally, having faithful children. Regardless of their age, they are faithful to them as parents. They respect authority. That's all it means. The children not being accused of dissipation or rebellion, particularly especially when they get older. For the overseer. Notice, it started out, the elders, and here it says the overseer. So the terms are synonymous. An elder is an overseer. The overseer must be above reproach. In other words, he couldn't be nailed by anybody in the congregation legitimately in a court of law for something. There's no evidence against him to convict him. The overseer must be above reproach, generally speaking, as God's stewards. He's faithful with what God has given him. He's faithful with the church's money. He's faithful with the facilities and God's people. He's a good steward. He is not fond of sordid gain. He's not in for the money. He's not materialistic. But He's hospitable. He loves people. He's open. He has an open life to people. Loving what is good. He is sensible. He is just or fair or does the right thing. He is devout. He has a personal walk with God that is of depth. He is self-controlled. And here, holding fast, the faithful word. He knows the Bible and knows how to use it. That's the gift of teaching, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching. He needs to protect the church from false doctrine while at the same time giving them pure doctrine to feed on, defending the faith in order that that he may be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. That's one picture of the qualifications. So this is tremendously important for our church. I am excited about. It. I am thrilled. I go around Shepherds Conference, talk to my buddies I went to seminary with. Many of them have planted churches and we share notes and commiserate. And every time they say, well, what's your leadership like? I said, man, God has blessed me with five men who are qualified as elders. And they're just in shock. You have got to be kidding me. Cliff, that is unbelievable. I've been pastoring this church for 10 years and all I, got, I got three guys. We're dying. You're blessed. Thank God. You are gifted. gift. You are blessed. I, I know. I, I, I agree. Thanks for reminding me. So it's an exciting time for our church and over the course. And if you're around for the next month, you're going to see more and more about this ordination process as we present these men to you in more greater and specific detail. And we are going to get your feedback and your input in the whole process and hopefully by God's leading your affirmation of God's calling in their life as we move on in the second year at Grace Bible Fellowship. So there it is. Sorry I cut into lunch. Let's go ahead and commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You for this day and the opportunity to get with the saints, for fellowship, worshiping You and looking at Your Word, seeing what You have to say. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years since You've given it, the New Testament. We thank You for that, Lord, and it's as clear as ever. Thank You for the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. And God, I just commit this truth to You as as our church seeks to discern Your will in affirming Elders in this church in obedience to Scripture. But we're thankful that Jesus, He's the chief shepherd. He's the ultimate elder. And we want to recognize and submit to His authority and leadership throughout the whole process. We commit it to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Dr. McManus, other messages, or resources, please visit GBF. SV.org or call us at 650 630 0009.